That will be it. Now let's uh, introduce a little more formally uh, our speaker for this week. As many of you know, he's uh, uh, served in various capacities during his um, ministry, uh, working at one time as a home missionary in the eastern part of this country. I'll never forget the assembly when he came to tell about the home missionary work and brought his uh, garb uh, of a missionary, and it uh, turned out to be overalls and and a t-shirt or something or other, and uh, he gave a little talk to the General Assembly and explained to them that this was the missionary's uh, uh, clothing. Then he was also serving uh, for a number of years as a missionary in Korea, as many of you know, and then was called to uh, teach at Westminster Theological Seminary, particularly in the area of missions, but also in in other areas. Uh, He has also distinguished himself as a movie critic, uh, writing criticisms of, of movies for for uh, Eternity Magazine and also for Christianity Today. It's our privilege to have uh, Harvey with us during this week as our speaker. Looking forward to his messages uh, morning and evening, and we present him to you at this time. Harvey Kahn. The uh, last time I was invited to the California Family Con- I do this frequently, don't let this upset you. <laughs> Many of you would be more upset if I didn't do it. Uh, <laughs> the last time I spoke at this conference was, I think, in 1966, I think. And uh, you're in Hume Lake, California. And uh, that was the last time they invited me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think I had something non-controversial then. Uh, uh, I really, I got the letter, you know, they want me to be the main speaker, and I thought, isn't that great, you know? (laughs) Then they let me know I'm going to be the only speaker. (laughs) uh, uh, In the evening, we're going to be focusing our studies uh, on the Gospel of Luke, and uh, I think the title in your uh, thing uh, has undergone some slight revision since uh, I turned it into uh, uh, Reverend Poundstone, uh, and it's, I think it was something like Luke and the World of Leftovers, right? Uh, uh, just, this is, it's going to come out to be the Kingdom of God and the World of Leftovers, okay? I decided to keep part of that, not to offend too many of you the first evening. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, uh, you'll notice the evenings are going to tend to be more popular type things, uh, and uh, uh, sort of serve, they wanted, I think they said, uh, preach in the evening and lecture in the morning. Now, some of you may wonder what the difference is between preaching and lecturing. I don't know. <laughs> Except that it makes Reverend Poundstone feel better if he knows we're doing one in the morning and the other kind of thing. <laughs> I think basically, though, the lecture kind of thing will be sort of heavier and uh, more scholarly type, just to impress those of you who... who uh, who, who believe that uh, who who believe who know that I'm a teacher at Westminster and really want to believe it. Uh, <laughs> the uh, also the morning sessions will be I suspect more controversial. Uh, 
I uh, do not accept what I regard as a traditional party line of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church regarding women. <laughs> the, uh, and uh, we'll talk about that tomorrow. <laughs> the, uh, and why out of five discussion groups you don't have one woman leading one of them. Anyway, <laughs> uh, that, will keep, that will be completely unrecorded. <laughs> Uh, the uh, evening will be a little bit more viable and uh, I can get through here alive. <laughs> the, uh, there are certain presbyteries in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church that you have to be careful in. Uh, let's see, there are, what, 12 or 13 presbyteries? Uh, is that right? I can't remember. I'm safe in New Jersey. <laughs> the, uh, uh, well, anyway... Uh, now let's talk about the Gospel of Luke. Uh, turn with me, please, to the second chapter of Luke's Gospel. Luke chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 14. I thought we'd start off with a Christmassy note. <clears throat> now it came about in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all were proceeding to register for the census, every one to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. And it came about that while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And in the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. And the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, open our eyes now to see your glory, to see your Son, Jesus Christ, lifted up and held up clearly and simply and joyfully before us, and in the power of the Spirit to bow before him and by faith to see his kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, in tonight, we're going to uh, sort of talk about uh, the general theme of Luke's Gospel. And uh, it's the same theme, basically, of Matthew's Gospel and Mark's Gospel. We'll do it all in one night and still get done by... Oh, Tim. <laughs> this is air conditioning. You should have been at Hume Lake. <laughs> the, uh, I was uh, converted in the church in Berkeley, California and uh, raised in California. And uh, the first time I ever went to a family Bible conference, I remember very vividly, was up in some place, uh, was, was that Hume Lake? And uh, Jim Moore 
was the was the evening speaker, and uh, he was a great speaker, and he spoke and spoke and spoke. <laughs> the uh, boy on and on. Uh, the, that was a great conference. I think people uh, we lost a total amount of weight of something like about two thousand pounds a night. <laughs> the uh, this is air conditioned. We can do it. <laughs> uh, what I'd like to do will be to focus then tonight on the theme of the Gospel of Luke, and uh, then in the uh, uh, the next couple of nights we've got left, we're going to focus as well on the kind of people that Luke pays a special attention to in his Gospel. Uh, something a little different from what Matthew does, something a little different from what Mark does, something a little different from what John's Gospel does. There are special groups of people that Luke was particularly concerned about when he talked about his great theme. Now, uh, that great theme of Luke's gospel is something called the kingdom of God. Uh, In the gospel of Matthew, sometimes it's called uh, the kingdom of heaven. Uh, It was the central uh, teaching point of Jesus Christ. Uh, If you've read uh, the parables, you've noticed that uh, almost all of them begin with some phrase like the kingdom of God is like unto And you know that uh, the Bible says also that without a parable, Jesus did not speak to the people. Uh, So he was constantly talking, but the object of his attention uh, constantly was this idea of the kingdom of God. Uh, We're told, for example, that when uh, John the Baptist came to announce the coming of Jesus, he announced the coming of Jesus in terms of this same theme. He said, repent. Why? Because the kingdom of God is at hand. Then he talked about Jesus. Uh, We're told that when Jesus began his ministry, uh, he began it with a a theme very similar to that of John. Uh, It was a call for repentance and faith, and it was tied once more to this uh, fact of the kingdom of God and its coming. Uh, uh, We're told to pray in the Bible. And uh, every Sunday in most of our churches, someplace during that worship service, Uh, We we, uh, prayed together the words which we've commonly come to call the Lord's Prayer. Uh, The center of the Lord's Prayer is the same idea of the kingdom. Uh, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Uh, And then right away we start explaining in the Lord's Prayer what that kingdom means. Uh, Thy will be done on earth as it's done in heaven. Uh, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount Uh, talked about the uh, righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, uh, but then he added, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, uh, you shall not enter the kingdom. Uh, To be born again is to see the kingdom of God. Uh, To be born from above is to enter into the kingdom of God. Uh, It seems like so many places in our Bible uh, come back time and time again, all wrapped up like a bow with this whole idea of the kingdom of God. It was awfully important. Uh, Important enough to spend uh, three books in your New Testament on. Important enough to really focus on it. What on earth was it? Uh, uh, Last year, uh, several of us from Westminster Seminary went to Uganda for a five-week trip, the second of uh, our trips in the last year and a half. I think some of you may have seen a slide or two from those things. Uh, On the second trip... Uh, we went uh, Uganda, a large country on the eastern coast of Africa, uh, landlocked, and for nine years uh, the domain of Idi Amin, a country uh, which during his nine-year reign 
uh, saw one out of every 22 Ugandans uh, murdered by Amin uh, either directly or indirectly. Uh, while we're there, we meet in the orphanage where we're staying. A uh, young boy, uh, we'll just call him, uh, uh, I create a new name every time I talk about him. I may have run out of names. Uh, the, uh, I keep wanting to call him Rachel. <laughs> People are very mixed up there. Anyway, uh, the, uh, uh, now suddenly another name flashes. I want to call him Rebecca. <laughs> I, I got to get into the New, new Testament. <laughs> Miriam? No. <laughs> the uh, Benjamin, okay. <laughs> There was a B in there somewhere. Uh, the, uh, uh, he's now about 16, 17 years of age. He was about 15 the first time we met him, 16 when we saw him again. Uh, when we met him the first time, uh, very quiet. Uh, never smiles, uh, very stern-faced, uh, never very pleasant, doesn't talk much if he talks at all. Uh, about a year later, you meet him once more. A year has passed. There's an occasional smile now. Uh, he's glad to see you. He comes up and uh, shakes your hand, uh, hugs you. And that's uh, the closest uh, form of affection you'll see from him in the time you're there, as you live together, eat together, work together in the kingdom of God. But there's been a change. Uh, two years before you met him for the first time, uh, Benjamin was alone uh, at home at night with his father, uh, a, lar- a prominent politician, and uh, a money manager in this capital city of Kampala. Uh, in the middle of the night, uh, Amin soldiers came to the house, took away his father and our friend uh, in the night, took them to what uh, Amin called the State Research Bureau. Uh, that's uh, something akin to a prison. Uh, and there in the sub-basement of the prison, he was placed in a cell a little bit larger than this corner, uh, no, only one door, no windows, uh, with 50 other prisoners. Uh, all through the first night, uh, prisoner after prisoner was carried out. They could hear the beatings outside uh, the door. Finally, uh, Benjamin and his father were uh, dragged out by four of the Nubian guards, carried outside the front, uh, outside the prison, outside the little room, and there in the hallway. Uh, floors were all slippery, Benjamin says. Uh, the, uh, they closed the gate. Uh, then one of the guards uh, held a large basket in his hand and he put the basket in Benjamin's hands and he said, get down on your knees. And Benjamin got down on his knees in the hallway, uh, no lights overhead, just a uh, dark hallway, held the basket in his hand. Uh, then uh, uh, the soldiers uh, kept pressing him on the shoulders and said, just hold the basket, hold the basket. Uh, then the soldiers pushed uh, Benjamin's father down in front of him so that Benjamin's face looked directly into the face of his father. And then the Nubian guards took an axe and cut off his father's head and it dropped into his basket. Now, Benjamin stayed in that prison for six months uh, holding baskets as he caught heads for six months. And uh, he was released from the prison, wandered uh, into the market, slept in the garbage pits, until he was reclaimed by a graduate of Westminster Seminary, a doctor by the name of Kefa Sempangi, uh, taken to an orphanage. And in the orphanage, Benjamin learned what the kingdom of God was all about. Uh, in a Bible study on the outskirts of Kampala, 
uh, held about two years ago. Uh, at nights, you'll hear the mortars from the guerrilla activity along the edges of the jungle. Uh, you'll see the uh, you'll see lights, submachine guns going, and all this to form sort of your background for your Bible study. Uh, tonight is a night for testimonies. Uh, there are about uh, 40 uh, Bible students here, all of them pastors, uh, are prominent leaders of the Ugandan church. And uh, one of the men will get up to give his testimony. Uh, he uh, has uh, only one leg. Uh, the other leg was removed, he says, just a few years ago in East Germany. And he's here to praise God because of God's grace. Uh, just a young man. He'll tell you that uh, uh, he was not a Christian. He used to be in the army. He went into a means army because there was no place else to go because a means army meant money. So he went into the army and he found himself with a large contingent of the army guarding the airport uh, near the capital city, the airport uh, that uh, we call here in the United States in Tebe. Uh, he was guarding that airport uh, when, uh, when the, uh, uh, when the uh, Jewish uh, uh, refugees or when the, the Jews were taken as, uh, as uh, captives and uh, kept at the airport. And he was guarding the airport uh, on the day uh, when the Israeli forces uh, swept across the airport uh, to rescue the uh, Israeli captives. Uh, there were, uh, uh, he stands up and says, uh, when the fighting was all gone, they were here and they were gone. It was just like that. He says there was only one person left alive of the permanent guards at the airport. He was the only one. And his leg had been shot off. He was not a Christian. Uh, for months, he tried. Uh, they tried to help him when nothing else uh, worked. He was sent to East Germany, and there, in a hospital run by the People's Republic of Germany, he heard the gospel for the first time from one of his nurses, and he became a believer in East Germany. And he knows what the kingdom of God's all about. Now, uh, to the Jews, uh, in the days of Jesus, the kingdom of God uh, could mean any possible number of things. Uh, for most of them, it was uh, going to be something glorious. Uh, it, was, uh, it would mean uh, the ten lost tribes were going to be restored again to the glory of Solomon. Uh, it meant that uh, uh, all the nations of the earth would come and uh, exalt Israel and bring all their glory and all their power and all their money to Israel. The, uh, it meant that uh, there was going to be political freedom from Rome. Uh, it meant that uh, the golden day was going to come back again. Uh, why it meant that the Savior was going to be co to come, uh, a political Savior, of course, who would arise and, uh, and bring uh, this new day of freedom. And uh, it was going to be power, and it was going to be glory, and it was going to be national prestige and esteem for the people of God. And uh, that's what the Jews of Jesus' day looked forward to when they looked forward to the kingdom of God. And they were wrong. Uh, there were others. There were the Pharisees, the teachers, the experts. And they knew what the kingdom of God was all about. To the Pharisees, the kingdom of God was rules. Do this, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this. The, uh, with a lot of emphasis on the don'ts. Uh, the uh, wash your hands when you go outside, wash your hands when you stay inside. Uh, the uh, don't uh, eat unclean food. Don't watch too many hours of Star Trek. Uh, <laughs> don't fellowship with Gentiles or sinners. Don't worry about what Mr. Spock lives or dies. <laughs> the, uh, 
you know, the really core things. <laughs> uh, keep the law, and in keeping the law, of course, uh, uh, you keep the favor of God, and in keeping the favor of God, uh, you enter the kingdom. Uh, the kingdom of God, the laws of God, one and the same thing. And they were wrong, too. Uh, the kingdom of God is not a set of laws, not a list of do's and don'ts, uh, and the kingdom of God is not political power, doesn't come wrapped in the American flag or the Israeli flag the, uh, or the flag of the Soviet Union. The kingdom of God is not political power. The kingdom of God, in a nutshell, is Jesus. The kingdom of God is the saving rule of Jesus. The kingdom of God is the great... The kingdom of God comes when Jesus comes. And he's already come. So the kingdom, says the Bible, has got a head start started 1900 years ago when Jesus came and it will be consummated completed, all put together finished all up when Jesus comes again uh, now I should mention at this stage you're all by now realizing I'm probably through the introductory phase <laughs> and wondering when I will get to introduce the outline well I'm sorry <laughs> I don't have any that's I sh maybe that's a core difference between a lecture and a sermon. <laughs> a lecture has an outline, which I don't follow. Uh, sermons have no outlines at all, and so I don't have to follow them. Uh, I gave up points to sermons long ago. Uh, if, uh, if this is the point, it's right here. Uh, the kingdom of God, simply put, is just Jesus Christ. Uh, come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, uh, the, uh, for example, notice with you, and I want to run you through the Gospel of Luke to try and get at this. Notice the uh, message of Mary, Luke chapter 1. Here's Mary. She's just heard the good news of the birth of Jesus. She's going to bear the Christ child. Uh, she ha it has been announced to her by the angel, and uh, uh, here is the angel giving the announcement. Uh, verse 32 and 33, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Now notice the language here. He uses all this Old Testament language. He talks about the house of David. David was that great king in the Old Testament, you remember? Uh, he describes, the, com uh, he describes his, the kingdom of this uh, coming Lord, of the Son of David, as a kingdom unlike any other kingdom in the Old Testament. This kingdom, he says, will have no end. Uh, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Uh, all this language is political language, right? And uh, suddenly we're introduced here as well through this word kingdom to that whole rich idea of the Old Testament. And remember, all of you, all of this is being written on a Christmas card. Uh, you know, this is, uh, here's a hallmark card from heaven. When you care enough to send the very best, <laughs> the, uh, you know, and it reads like a political statement, like one of those things you get under your doorway in the morning. You know, vote for this fellow. The uh, only this one's in big headlines, and it says, "Warning: The kingdom of God has come." Bam! The uh, excitement, and all clothed uh, in the Christmas message. Why? The kingdom's here. Why? Because Jesus is here. Now, if that doesn't uh, make the point for you, listen, for example, to another Christmas carol from chapter 1 of Luke's Gospel. Listen to Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. Uh, he's singing, 
the uh, some people just can't stop. Uh, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. He begins, verse 68, For he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. Now, uh, uh, you won't find, as you read down in that uh, song of Zechariah, a lot of uh, giveaway words like kingdom or kingdom of God, but uh, you've already noticed that the language is very much like the language of, of the angel, isn't it? Uh, There he is, too, talking about the house of David. Uh, There he is talking about uh, uh, the horn of salvation, uh, the horn, the symbol of power, might in the Old Testament. And uh, he's saying, God's raised up this horn of salvation for us. And uh, uh, we've seen that it has something to do with the restoration of the house of David. And uh, all of this sung again in terms of Christmas carol fashion. Zechariah is speaking of the Lord's coming, and he's really speaking in all of this about the coming of the kingdom. Uh, Because you see, the coming of the Messiah means the coming of the kingdom. Uh, Chapter 2, the passage we read for scripture this evening. Here are the shepherds sitting around on the hillside uh, uh, waiting for the message. And to them, and the significance of that will draw attention to maybe one of these nights to come. Uh, uh, And uh, to them comes the great announcement of the blessing. Uh, The uh, word is given from the angels to the shepherds. And the word is about glory. And the word is about peace. Now, there's nothing in that song of the shepherds that says, hey, glory to God because the kingdom is here. Uh, Peace on earth because the kingdom's come. But uh, notice, will you, that all this language, these themes, uh, glory, peace, uh, uh, are all themes that are picked up from the Old Testament. You always get the feeling when you're reading through the first two chapters of Luke's Gospel, you're sort of reading through the psalm. And uh, that's deliberate. You're still, as it were, sort of standing somewhere there between when the Old Testament finishes and the New Testament begins. You've got your feet in two different worlds. And, uh, and so you're listening. Uh, to a sudden, it's as if the Lord had opened the mouth of the psalmist again. And uh, only now uh, it comes from the angels. They're singing about glory. They're singing about peace. And all these themes, if you remember your prophecies in the Old Testament, are all themes related to the idea of the kingdom of God. The, uh, uh, The angels are singing about the kingdom. For unto us a son is born, unto us a child is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor of the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. There are all those themes, aren't they? And they're all tied in to the idea of government rule that's being given to the child. And that's what these angels are singing about. Uh, The kingdom started uh, because uh, the king has come to bring it. Uh, Maybe this is uh, startling to you. Uh, Let me take just a second uh, to try and clarify something here. Usually when we think about kingdoms uh, here in the United States, Uh, We think we're a democracy. Uh, We tend to think in terms of Abraham Lincoln categories uh, of the people, by the people, for the people. Uh, In the United States, we get a little upset every now and then about why England still needs a king and queen. Uh, Aren't they a democracy? Uh, We tend to associate uh, uh, democracies and the rights of democracies with us, you know, all of us, uh, and not with sort of one or two people. 
So uh, England's uh, monarchy seems kind of archaic to somebody who thinks in those kinds of categories. Now, uh, uh, sometimes then we can read through a term like this kingdom of God in the Old Testament or New Testament, and we can sort of, sort of shift it and push it and shove it. So when it's all done, when we think about kingdom, we're thinking once more of a democracy. Uh, no, let's drop that. Uh, you won't get the idea of the kingdom of God if you think of it in terms of a democracy or a nation, you know, or Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. Uh, think of the kingdom of God in terms of a dictatorship, all right? Uh, that'll make it easier, I think, for most of us to catch the picture. A dictatorship is, uh, is, uh, is uh, citizenry run, shaped, directed, moved, manipulated by one person, right? Uh, that one person's law, word is law in that situation. Uh, that one person, when he speaks, uh, the world moves. Uh, when that one person passes on his commands, uh, the earth shakes. That's dictatorship, right? The, uh, that's the kingdom of God. Only in this case, it is the most benevolent dictatorship the world has ever seen. Because you see, the one person who runs and rules in this kingdom is God himself. And God speaks, and the world shakes. And God gives his word, and uh, the earth moves. And God sends his son, and there's grace. And God gives uh, his word of hope and love and forgiveness of sins through Christ, and everything changes. And the world parts, and you can cross over. Now that's the kingdom of God. Uh, stop thinking of it in terms of, of uh, democracies. won't help you a bit. Think of it in terms of one person. Remember how Daniel talked about kingdoms in his prophecy. Remember he was just, remember that great that big statue. You, you've been to Sunday school. <laughs> the, uh, uh, with the head of gold and the chest of whatever it was. And uh, I've been out of Sunday school a long time. And, uh, and uh, then there was another part, something or other. Anyway, <laughs> it was big. And, uh, uh, the, uh, and you remember, uh, you've also been told countless times the head, that was... Uh, that was what? What was that? Babylon, right. That's right, you're wrong. <laughs> That's right. Uh, also, you will find out, interestingly enough, when you read that passage in Daniel, uh, you know, the reference, of course, to the head of gold is to Babylon. But also, as you read on in a later parallel prophecy in the same book of Daniel, uh, parallel to it, you'll find uh, the head of gold, as it were, also referred to as what? As Nebuchadnezzar. And that answer is right too. Now how can two answers both be right? Because you see, in the days of the Bible, uh, the king was the kingdom. And so you could identify the head of gold either as Babylon or as Nebuchadnezzar. Because Nebuchadnezzar was Babylon. Because Babylon was Nebuchadnezzar. That's just the way things went together. So the kingdom of God isn't just a whole bunch of us saints under a roof somewhere where it's cool. Uh, the kingdom of God is Jesus. The kingdom of God is the Lord of glory who's come to save. And so when the king comes, the kingdom comes. Okay? And that's why all these things start popping out. That's why, for example, the next, the next stage is along comes John the Baptist shouting at the top of his lungs. He's a noisy kind of preacher. The uh, Matthew chapter 3, verse 2. Repent, he says, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
All right, here's John, the herald of the king. Here's John, sort of the uh, uh, top banana, the as it were. Uh, he has come to clean up the road, to get people ready uh, for the one who's going to follow him. He comes rapidly onto the scene, disappears almost as quickly, because his job is done. The uh, Years ago, when we were in Korea, uh, Lyndon B. Johnson came to Korea. It was the first time uh, an American president had ever come to the Republic of Korea. And our country got ready. <laughs> the boy, we were all grateful uh, for many reasons. He was going to arrive at the airport. It was only a two-lane highway out to the airport and had never been paved. It is now an eight-lane highway <laughs> paved because President Johnson is coming. <laughs> I mean, they got ready for months. Everything was paved. The, uh, you didn't lay your coat down for a second. <laughs> the, uh, then when it was paved, somebody said, you know, there's this too much, no, there's got to be flowers. So then they tore up the middle of what they just paved and put flower beds in it because President Johnson was coming. And uh, it, unfortunately, the road ran down through this rather dilapidated area of town. That was no good. So the next thing we knew, the police came with huge trucks and hauled away everybody who lived in the dilapidated areas of town. And then great big bulldozers came in. And one day, so help me, they tore down all the shacks by the roadside because President Johnson was coming. <laughs> and then the rest of the houses were there, but not too nice. So then came the rest of the trucks. They were great big cans of paint, you know, and days you'd see these policemen just <laughs> because President Johnson was coming. And, and then finally over the road, which is now eight lanes, they put this huge big sign, you know, in English and Korean. It said, Welcome President Johnson and Ladybird. <laughs> and they misspelled Ladybird. <laughs> The, uh, uh, but that was okay because the president was coming. And then on the day when he arrived at the airport, they let all the kids out. You know, the government sponsored all this. So all the children went out from these spontaneous type things. <laughs> uh, each child was given a, an American flag to wave, all spontaneous. <laughs> Days before, you could see the rehearsal, the spontaneous rehearsals on each of the class, you know, the uh, schoolyards all over the country. And finally, we went out, and the, our kids, our oldest ones, they were in school too. The, uh, and so they got to go out to see the President of the United States, you know, and there they were over a million people in Seoul on that day seeing the President. <laughs> and uh, boy, did they see him. <laughs> That was great. <laughs> Watch my dust. <laughs> Welcome, President Johnson. <laughs> it was a great time. The, uh, I think they released seven or eight political prisoners, too. <laughs> the, uh, now, in a sense, that's what John the Baptist is doing. <laughs> Believe it or not. Along comes John the Baptist, and he says, let's make a highway for our God. Uh, level the mountains, uh, fill in the valleys, and prepare a highway in the wilderness for the Lord. Let's have an eight-lane highway because the King of Glory is coming. And uh, so John the Baptist gets it all ready. And his whole job is done after he gets the road ready and he makes the announcement. Uh, 
remember that late night show and uh, the announcer comes on and he says, you know, there's, and here's <laughs> the, uh, and that's sort of like what John the Baptist does. The, uh, when it's done, he totally steps aside. You know, he's not a New Testament Ed McMahon who's around there to take all the guff. The, uh, when it's all done, his job is finished, he moves back, and uh, the center stage uh, belongs to the Lord of glory. And how does he announce all this? Uh, the word of preparation is the word repent. And why should people repent? Well, says John, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Or in the Gospel of Luke, the kingdom of God is at hand. Same kind of thing. Uh, he's talking about Jesus, isn't he? But notice the language that he uses to describe the coming of Jesus. He uses the language kingdom of God. Jesus is coming. The kingdom is coming. Now, uh, the, uh, now Jesus comes. And notice, will you, I'm going to use just a verse from Mark chapter 1. Jesus comes in uh, with a very similar word. He begins his gospel ministry. Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Jesus, after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, you'll notice that the language of Jesus is very, very similar to John's language. John said, repent. Jesus says, repent. John said, the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus says, the kingdom of God is at hand. There is a difference. And Mark's gospel particularly sort of heightens this difference. And the difference, you may have noticed, is in a particular phrase that's put there in Mark's gospel that I don't think John the Baptist could ever have used. But Jesus can use it. Jesus says, the time is fulfilled. Now, uh, what's he trying to get at? John's message came on at 11.30 at night. Jesus comes on at midnight. And Jesus says, the time is fulfilled. Hear the clock striking. John couldn't have said that. Jesus can say it. Because you see, Jesus is the kingdom. And so uh, what Jesus is saying to his people right here and now is that uh, God has already come to visit his people. God has come to heal and save all the hopes of the prophets, all the plans of the Old, Test of the Old Testament, all those plans laid by God before the foundation of the earth are now coming to fulfillment unfolding right before your eyes. Uh, you're watching a moving picture of the end of the earth. And uh, Jesus has come to, begun, to begin the moving picture. Fulfillment, A through Z, Alpha through Omega, and everything in Jesus. And so Jesus goes now, and as he goes, the central part of his message is this theme, the kingdom. Jesus goes... Uh, he preaches uh, one of, probably one of his first sermons, certainly one of, uh, uh, probably intended to be kind of a pattern sermon, in Luke, or intended by Luke to be taken as a pattern sermon. goes to Nazareth, Luke chapter 4. We'll be talking about this to, maybe tomorrow night, more detail. He uh, preaches from the book of Isaiah, uh, talks about the promise of the coming of the day of salvation, 
Uh, he uh, describes, uh, he reads from Isaiah chapter 61, Luke chapter 4, verses 17 and following. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Uh, he reads on about freedom for the captives, sight for the blind, uh, release for those who are downtrodden, uh, the proclamation of the good year of the Lord. And he finishes reading it, gives it back to the attendant, sits down. In the New Testament, preacher sat down, the congregation stood up. And uh, they were not really biblical. Uh, then he says, uh, very simply, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Uh, revolutionary. Before this sermon is done, or the effects have felt, uh, when the effects of this sermon begin to seep all the way down, before the end of this chapter, the people in the synagogue have taken Jesus out and tried to push him off of a cliff. The, uh, they weren't very positive about this message. <laughs> the uh, why? Uh, he's talking about the fulfillment of prophecy, isn't he? That's right. But you see, uh, the, hang, the, the thing that clinched it was he was talking about the fulfillment of all this prophecy in connection with his own message. Today, he says, not tomorrow, not a thousand years from now, not at the end of the age. Today, says Jesus, this scripture has been fulfilled. Now, Jesus say, doesn't say today this scripture will be fulfilled, not future tense. It's all past tense, has been fulfilled. And really past tense. Past tense that's not just simply done and put away in a shelf someplace, but the kind of past tense that still makes its effects felt right now. The, uh, the Greeks had a word for doing even that, describing even that kind of thing. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, how did it get to be fulfilled? Uh, the, uh, and what does Jesus mean by in your hearing? Well, I think what he means is, in your listening to this sermon, this scripture has been fulfilled. Well, what does he mean by that? Well, I think what Jesus is saying is that his preaching is a fulfillment of this prophecy. Is that what they're listening to from his lips right then and there uh, are the words by which this prophecy is being fulfilled. Uh, the great day of the Lord that was going to change the world, that was going to shift the axis of the world from the wrong to the right. The great day of the world, uh, of that world that was coming, when God was going to bring a whole new social order, uh, that day is here, and that day is now, and Jesus has come to bring it. Pretty shocking stuff. The kingdom of God, no longer big promises, now big reality, filled right in their ears. They can hear it going on. They can hear the bells ringing, and they can hear all those bells ringing in the words of Jesus. Now, that's kind of hard to believe. Uh, even somebody as tough-necked and as hard-ribbed as John the Baptist had a hard time with it. Uh, he had some difficulty believing that this could possibly be a fulfillment. He's waiting in prison, and he begins to doubt. He wonders whether all these things that have taken place are really, uh, really come from the, in terms of the fulfillment of the Messiah. So in prison he asks Jesus a question, sends his messengers, and the question is this, are you the expected one, or do we look for someone else? And uh, the men come to him, and they ask, Listen, John the Baptist has sent us to you, 
and he asks, are you the expected one or do we look for someone else? He cured many at that very time. He cured many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirits and he granted sight to many who were blind and he answered and said to them, go and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor of the gospel preach to them and blessed is he who keeps from stumbling over me. Now what kind of a weird answer is that? He doesn't just come out and say yes. He doesn't just say no. What on earth does he say? Why he gives them uh, an object lesson in the kingdom of God. He says, uh, uh, now you believe, don't you, that when the kingdom comes, there's going to be a whole new world coming forth, don't you? You believe that when the kingdom of God comes, uh, there will be no more sickness, don't you? And you believe that when the kingdom of God comes, uh, the nature itself is going to be torn at its very roots and changed, don't you? And you believe that when the kingdom of God comes, there's going to be a resurrection from the dead, don't you? Well, here it is. What do you see? You see the blind seeing, don't you? And you see the dead being raised from the dead, from the earth. And uh, you see the poor being changed. And the gospel preached to them. And what does all this mean? Why, it means the kingdom is here. And the kingdom is now. Because the one who does all these signs is here. And his name is Jesus. And then there's the greatest sign of all. There's Jesus. uh, Sitting, standing before a crowd in a room. And uh, uh, people desperate to get to him. Tear a roof down in the hole. Let down their friend. The... uh, and uh, uh, they want to see a display of the power of the kingdom of God. And what does Jesus do? He says, I'll show it to you. Your sins are forgiven, he announced. And then he says, uh, do you believe that I have authority or power to do that? Well, I'll show you I've got power. Get up and walk. And he gets up and walks out of the room with his bed attached. And everybody knew the kingdom's here because the, Lord's of, the Lord of glory is here. Because the only one in heaven and earth who can forgive sins has come. And he's forgiven this man's sin. A man named Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. And he says, uh, uh, he, uh, he comes with great concerns. Jesus hits him with some tough questions. They talk about being born again. Nicodemus asks and he says, uh, how can I be born again? The... Uh, What does it mean to be born again? And Jesus says, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And suddenly in those great verses in John chapter 3, the idea of the kingdom of God and the idea of being born again are brought together, aren't they? What does it mean to be born again? It means to see the kingdom of God. What does it mean to be born again? It means to enter the kingdom of God. Do you want to enter the kingdom of God? And you've got to be born from above. The, uh, uh, to, to see and taste uh, in your life, uh, to know that there is forgiveness of sins uh, pledged, given for you at Calvary, to know there's freedom and healing uh, in that uh, washing blood, to know that Jesus forgives sins, and to know that, uh, to know that deep down in your heart, and to know it because of Calvary. All of the Gospels take you to Calvary. 
And if you really want to see what the kingdom's all about, go to Calvary. You want to see the full power of the kingdom of God. Here's Pontius Pilate. He knew about it. He knew the connections. Are you the king, he asks Jesus. And he was talking about Calvary, wasn't he? How do the soldiers at Calvary mock Jesus? Why, they put a crown of thorns on him, don't they? And they give him uh, a little reed in his hand, and they throw a robe around him. He's a king, isn't he? They know all about the kingdom. They know, uh, almost like demons from hell know, the connections between the kingdom of God and Calvary. Uh, uh, They put a sign above Jesus. This is Jesus, the king. And uh, when the thieves died beside him on the cross, one of them marveling at everything he's seen, uh, when finally he grasps in that thinder, slender bit of faith that he has, how does he describe it? He says, Lord, remember me, what? When you enter your kingdom. And Jesus says, today. Not tomorrow, not the next day, but today. That's the place where it comes together. You want to enter the kingdom of God? It begins at Calvary. You've got to go through that door. And if you don't go through that door, uh, you can't get in. No way to get in except there. But if you go in that door, you know what the kingdom's all about. One of our friends in Philadelphia shared bread with us just a few weeks ago, found that out. Big, tall, heavy-set fellow. He uh, introduced uh, to a street gang uh, uh, in uh, another in southern, large southern city. Uh, one of the initiatory uh, uh, rights of entrance into the street gang was that you had to maim another a member of an opposite gang in a warfare. Uh, his scars all up and down his chest, uh, battle marks, he calls them. Great big fellow used to work as a sparring partner. Uh, then was involved in an armed robbery. Uh, the, uh, he was uh, thrown into prison, in prison for the testimony of literature and then Christian friends. He heard about the kingdom of God, introduced to Jesus. Some of us in our church began to pray for him. People began to work with him. Uh, now he, uh, has, he's been released uh, uh, into the uh, cognizance of the congregation, uh, growing in the Lord, uh, doing a lot of great things. He knows what it is to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. Uh, means Calvary. Uh, means Jesus. Means good news. Uh, the uh, one of the uh, delights of doing our work in Korea uh, was the ministry that I know a lot of you have heard about. Uh, the ministry the Lord gave us to prostitutes. In 1971, the uh, or at 72, 71 was the last year we were there, uh, evangelizing in a small brothel in the northern part of uh, the uh, northern part of the city. Uh, we had been there in the in the house for five, six weeks, uh, not getting very far. Usually waited till the last of the classes before we would appeal to any of the girls to become believers. And on the last day, uh, one of the girls, uh, two of the girls, decided to become Christians. Uh, the uh, pimp, the owner of the brothel, usually always stayed in the houses just to watch and see what had happened. Never gave you any trouble and always good attendance. On this particular session, he was there. When he saw that uh, one of the girls, uh, the girls were interested in becoming Christians, 
uh, he uh, got pretty angry. He uh, reached over, picked up the key from the end of the room, and then just swung it at one of the girls, hit her on the shoulder, and then he picked the other one up and started to work on the other girl. And uh, the, uh, I somehow or other got in between the um, passive, a <laughs> uh, little passive resistance won't hurt here. The, uh, and uh, then uh, the next thing I remember was waking up outside the house. Uh, and the, uh, uh, the, uh, there were a couple of policemen there and they were holding this uh, owner of the brothel. He had this cane above him, which I was lying on the ground and uh, I, I, the, I smelled bad, there was mud all over and blood and I, it was very, I felt, I'm glad I'm, un, I was thinking, I'm glad I'm unconscious, this must be very awful. There's <laughs> <laughs> this guy and I can just remember him, he's holding the cane up, you know, screaming at the top of his lungs, I'm going to get you, don't ever come back here. And then I went on furlough. <laughs> it doesn't take a roof to fall on me to get the point. <laughs> Figured one year long furlough, you'll forget in a year. <laughs> the year. Uh, uh, that was the, and then I decided to teach at Westminster. <laughs> Give him another year or two. <laughs> uh, the, uh, then in the, uh, in the providence of God, I went back to Korea to do some consultation work for a large organization, for a mission board. Went back to Korea, and I was there for about a week, two weeks, three weeks. I stayed at the YMCA, and uh, there's a Korean newspaper, a Christian newspaper, and they had my picture in it and everything and all that kind of stuff. And uh, Near the last week, I was staying at the Y, and this uh, 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 word came up from the lobby. Somebody wanted to meet me in the lobby, so I went downstairs, and I walked out the elevator door, and here was this man standing in front of the elevator door, and, and I bowed very low, and, and I bowed, and uh, he said, how do you do, Mr. Khan? I said, how do you do? And uh, we went on like this. I didn't know this fellow from a hole in the wall. <laughs> and uh, the, uh, he smiled a little bit. He says, you don't remember me, do you? And, uh, well, uh, <laughs> and then he reached behind him. He was standing sort of just opposite. It was a corner of the room here. And he, he reached behind him and he pulled out this cane from the corner of the room. <laughs> and he says, do you remember me? And uh, remember me now. And I ran for the elevator. <laughs> I wanted to get a track that was upstairs. So. <laughs> uh, no. And he, uh, anyway, he was the owner of the brothel in two or three years. And uh, uh, he began to talk. And he said, uh, I want you to know I've become a Christian. And he said, I've seen, I saw your picture in the Christian newspaper and I knew you were here and I had to come see you. And uh, so he started to talk. And he told me, uh, he said, in the weeks that followed the beating, uh, he said, I don't know why, he said, but I just felt kind of funny. And he felt funny. <laughs> <laughs> I really felt for him. <laughs> and he said, uh, he said, I just felt strange. And he said, one night I was walking down through town and it was a Wednesday night, and he said, I heard this, this singing. And he said, I knew it was Christian. It was a Christian song. It was a Wednesday night prayer meeting. So he said, I went up the hill to this church, and the service had already started. So I just sat down in the back of the service, and uh, I didn't want to make any trouble. So before the service ended, I left. And he said, then I went every Wednesday night to this service. We didn't go on Sundays, but, I mean, they met Wednesdays, right? <laughs> so Wednesdays he went. And over a period of time, I uh, heard the gospel. Then uh, a, a, very, uh, a pastor, realizing what was what, finally got wise, went to look after him, 
found uh, a sheep that was lost and shared the gospel. And he became a believer. Uh, I said, what have you done about the girls? He said, I had 21 girls, three houses. I sold, uh, I let all the girls go and I sold all the property. And he said, uh, I've been witnessing to the girls and uh, as I remember now, he said five, six of them had become Christians. Just last Sunday I was in church and two of them were baptized. Uh, what are you doing now, I asked him. He says, I see, look very, then he looked very sheepish, looked at the ground for a long while and he said, I sell apples in the market. And I said, praise God. And he said, oh yes, hallelujah, he said. Jesus is the answer. He knew all about the kingdom. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, that Jesus Christ has come. And he's come to seek and to save that which was lost. And he's come to bring good news to a world that's tired and broken and hungry and needy. To bring hope where there's only despair. And to bring that peace of God where there's nothing but pain and anger and bitterness. Thank you for his coming. Thank you for his coming for us. Thank you that in his coming, the kingdom has come. And there's still more to come. For he will return. And then the beginnings which we see now will be consummated. Then the loose ends will be tied together. And we will know. And there will be perfect hope and joy and peace because we will reign forever with Christ.